Welcome, everyone. This is Jeff Cohn with the Wall Street Resource, and joining me is Tom Smith, CEO of RAP Technologies. Welcome, Tom, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. Pleasure. So, so Tom, we had uh, RAP on a year ago or so, and there's been a number of changes. Um, but first off, you know, for those who aren't familiar with the company, can you give us a, a quick overview of the company? Certainly, and it has been quite the year. Uh, a lot's changed for the company, uh, all positive stuff, so it was very good. But the company started back in uh, 2017. A gentleman by the name of Woody Norris uh, was looking at different ways to be able to restrain people without hurting them and actually looked at the way the Argentinian cowboys used boleros uh, back in the day. And uh, long story short is he developed a handheld system that is portable that allows you to, from 10 to 25 feet away, deploy a Kevlar tether that wraps around somebody to remotely restrain them. So think of throwing handcuffs on someone from a distance and stop them. And it's the only tool of its kind available to law enforcement that does not use pain compliance uh, to end the situation before it escalates to those higher levels of force and ultimately a firearm. And uh, it started shipping about a year and a half ago, the summer of 2019. And we've made incredible, incredible progress in the short time period. And especially with all of the events over the summer and the discussion about police change, uh, police reform, defund police, you know, all of those discussions are, we're, we're kind of in the perfect company, the perfect product at the perfect time to come into this market and be a contributing, uh, contributing product to help end some of those solutions. Yeah, no, it so- sounds like it. Now, now, one of those changes is, is you taking on the CEO role. Can you give us a, a little bit about your background and what got you excited about the company to take on that role? Sure. So my brother and I started Taser, which is now Axon, uh, back in 1993. And we're, basically we grew it together for about 20 years, and I did most of the outside, meaning the sales, the marketing, the training, the travel, took it to over 100 countries, uh, while he was doing a lot of other uh, other things. And then I left in 2012 full-time, consulted for an extra year and because uh, I enjoy the startup phase of things. But my most of my career has been in public safety and in this space. And obviously Axon uh, has changed the world. Uh, the Taser has become a household name. And the entire time that I was doing that, you know, I, the police were always asking for other ways to – stop someone without hurting. And this product is the first one that I've seen um, really in my career that that has the ability to do that without using pain compliance. And that's one of the reasons that I got so excited when I saw the company uh, a few years ago. And then when I saw it in person, I I joined as president and now president and CEO. And I'm super excited about this technology. And and again, uh, you know, all of those other levels of force have been pushed up higher by the courts. And this device fits in perfectly for that gap that's been created between officer presence and those higher levels of force being used. And um, I, I just think it's the perfect storm that has been created for this Vola wrap to really come into the law enforcement market and to really make a big splash, not only domestically, but internationally. I think it's also super impressive that in our first um, almost 12 months, we were in over 30 countries, and now in 18 months, almost 37 countries in addition to the U.S. So we truly are solving a global problem. And, and how big of a, a market is, is your addressable market? It is a very, very large market. You know, the, the 
Law enforcement market domestically, there's 900,000 cops spread among 18,000 agencies. So that's 18,000 chiefs, 18,000 decision makers. And uh, when you add international, that market is 12 times the size of the U.S. market. So it's uh, then if you start really expanding even beyond that and bringing in private security or, or federal government, military, the market is is a very, very, very large market. And right now I think it's growing from about $6 billion, it was estimated in 2016, to a, uh, almost $12 billion by 2023 when you, when you look at the total addressable market worldwide. And do you have any direct competition? I don't know if you consider Taser indirect or, or speak to that, please. Certainly. So it's nothing direct competition, just like Taser was nothing a direct competition. They're complementary. So, you know, you don't build a house with just a hammer. They're another tool in the toolbox and not, you know, there is no magic bullet. And we're very upfront about that. It just doesn't exist. Um, so you have to have multiple tools to be able to effectively stop somebody. And as you kind of go through the progression of, an, of a suspect resisting arrest or having to have force used on them, these tools fit into different areas. So our device, in some cases, it's not even considered a use of force because it doesn't use pain compliance to end the confrontation. In fact, there was a study done in the United Kingdom that's available on our website uh, at rap.com that you can download that shows the risk of using the bowler wrap to stop someone is even lower risk than handcuffs. And the reason is uh, with handcuffs, you have to be right up next to somebody where this device works from 10 to 25 feet, so it's throwing those handcuffs on them from a distance, and distance is equal to safety to an officer. And then the risk uh, on that scale goes up from there to those other tools, be it pepper spray, taser, baton, ultimately a firearm. So we fit a great uh, gap in there and an opportunity to end these confrontations quickly, before they escalate to requiring those other tools that have much higher uh, use of force and potential risks for injury than, than what the bowler app presents. And what about price point? How does that compare to a taser, for example? Uh, this is less expensive than a taser. So it's very similar to actually the pricing of the original Taser X26 that we launched back in 2003, nearly 20 years ago. Uh, so those devices are several thousand dollars now. Our device if you factor everything into it, kind of a back-of-the-envelope number for U.S. law enforcement is somewhere between 1000 and 1200 and that includes the device, uh, the cartridges for training, for field deployment, the holsters, you know, everything together. So a 10-man agency is going to be a ten dollars to $12,000 commitment to uh, equip all of their officers. And so specifically, the cartridge is a single-use cartridge. Uh, after you've used it, you throw it away, and those are about $30 a piece. Uh, so it is very, very cost competitive and, and less expensive than other items that are available in the market. And it's the only tool that doesn't use pain compliance, so it really is in the sweet spot for what's going on within law enforcement today. Yeah, sounds like a great product. Do you have it protected? Oh, yes. We have, we have invested very much uh, into the intellectual property area. We already have eight U.S. patents granted. Uh, we've got four trademarks. We're actually filing those in over 50 countries. Uh, and have two foreign patents already granted. So we, we do have um, our legal counsel and intellectual property making sure this product is protected. And then as we're now developing new, looking forward to next generation technologies, we work very closely with counsel to ensure that we do have great IP protection. But quite frankly, the bigger advantage for us is the first mover you know, advantage. And if you look at law enforcement, the Remington shotgun is still the number one shotgun used by law enforcement. Why? 
There's numerous other shotguns by many other vendors, but Remington was first. And there's not a big emphasis for law enforcement. They're not stalwarts to change. They don't change quickly. So there's a big first mover advantage as well. Just like Taser is still the number, there really isn't a competitor and everybody knows Taser. I expect the same will happen with Bola Wrap and Wrap Technologies, that we will be the standard for remote restraint. We are the standard. There is no competition. We're going to protect ourselves with IP. And then we are going to become a household name, just like we did with Taser 20-some years ago. Bowler Wrap is going to become a household name as we start to see more and more adoption within the law enforcement community around the globe. So are, are you a one-product company? Not that there's anything wrong with that. I think Taser started out that way. We did. At Taser, we were a one-product company actually for, for many, many years. In this case, we are not. One of the things that I really um, you know, like about Wrap Technologies that we're already implementing is now that we're developing this channel to public safety is to bring in complementary products, such as we've already wrapped or launched, excuse me, Wrap Armor, which is a uh, ballistic shield product to give officers protection. Uh, we've announced Wrap Reality, which will be a virtual training platform that we're going to be uh, advancing very uh, heavily in 2021. So we have this platform of Wrap. Uh, our ticker symbol is now WRAP. Our website is WRAP.com. So RAP is going to be the central uh, marketing tool for everyone to know that name. And then you'll have Bola RAP, RAP Armor, RAP Reality built around this RAP nucleus. So, and, and as more products become available or, or things that we look at that we can either partner with or, or use to um, get access to this channel, we, we are becoming one of the experts in the field that people will look to for uh, public safety equipment, and so we will use that to our advantage to continue to grow and expand the company and the brand. Now, are you getting uh, new products by developing them in-house, or are you acquiring them? Well, a little bit of both. So our, obviously the bottle wrap, we're doing a lot of that development almost exclusively in-house because that's real uh, specific expertise. The wrap armor is something that was developed out of house that we partnered with to be able to supply that equipment because we felt it was something that was beneficial to law enforcement. And as we're looking into wrap reality, that's going to be a little bit of both. So one thing, again, that I really like that we are doing as a company is we're looking to just not have everything have to be done in-house, but what makes sense with other people that we don't have to reinvent the wheel, but the fact that we're a public company, that we have uh, a fantastic balance sheet, very strong balance sheet, that we can utilize our position, our market, our branding of RAP to bring other technologies to this law enforcement public safety space that not everything does have to be done in-house. You know, at Taser early on, we were very focused on everything had to be done in-house, and I think that slowed us down uh, in the, uh, for many, many years, uh, and still they do a lot of things in-house. But uh, I think the way we're approaching the market with being able to bring in uh, other um, relationships to bring through this market space really is what's exciting for us as, as we grow as a company. So are you manufacturing yourself in-house or, or is that outsourced? No, we actually do all the, uh, all what I would call the trade secret or the value-add manufacturing. So things like um, our product, as an example, has a plastic shell that, that goes around the, the, the device. Their injection molding we don't do in-house. We own the molds, but we have somebody that's an expert in injection molding do that. However, the assembly of the cartridge, the way those cords are put together, uh, and the final assembly, because that's only a single use, we do manufacture those in-house. We do the final assembly of the product in-house, because that's really where the secret sauce is. That's where our IP is. 
So it makes sense for us to keep that in-house and protect it and really control our own destiny. Uh, and again, then we outsource the things that are not really our expertise or are, are, are easily available in the marketplace to be able to support our in-house manufacturing. How about the capacity? Where are you, and can you scale if you get some really big orders? Great question, and the short answer is yes, we can scale. So what we did uh, last year was we did a lot of investment in our infrastructure and our manor- manufacturing capacity. We've got about an 11,000-square-foot facility here in Tempe, Arizona, and right now if you go through our investor relation deck, you'll see on our current one-shift operation, we're set up to be able to produce and manufacture for a company that could be about a 10 to 12 for $13 million run rate annually, uh, so which is basically where we're set up for today. And because of the infrastructure investments that we made in the past, we don't need a lot of future infrastructure investment to really be able to grow this. For example, we can double that with just going to a t- second shift operation. And then as we grow and do a second shift and multiple lines, we actually are set up in this facility with the investments we made uh, and not a lot of future investments other than labor uh, and inventory numbers to bit, get to the point where we could see ourselves in this facility even getting to a 50-plus million-dollar annual run rate uh, you know, when that demand comes. So I think it was one of the things that was very uh, great timing for the company to be able to take that balance sheet, invest early to get the right people, the right procedures, the right processes, all of those things in place so that we can scale and grow uh, and meet the demand of the market as that happens, again, without having to spend a lot of future investment. So I think that was something that we spent time on, uh, a lot of time on in the past to make sure that we're ready uh, and that we're producing very, you know, high-quality products. Officers' lives depend on this, and we take that very, very seriously. And so we invested heavily to make sure we're ready to produce those products and to grow with the market as, it, as we expect it to happen over the next year or two. And so, so you touched on a little bit, but but who are your your customers? Is it just police forces? Right now, it is just uh, law enforcement. So there's federal law enforcement. There's uh, state, city, county law enforcement. Uh, there's eighteen thousand agencies here in the United States, plus uh, you know all the countries around the world that have law enforcement. That's twelve times the size of the U.S. market. So. Today, our focus is primarily law enforcement and public safety, but I do expect that will expand into private security. Uh, We're already doing some of that with our international customers. Uh, It's a little bit more challenging domestically because of some regulations on the current product from the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Bureau uh, that uh, make it a little bit more difficult for somebody who's not in law enforcement. Uh, And those are things that we're looking at, obviously, for future generations of our products is how do we make it easier for a private citizen or somebody in in private security to be able to get access to this technology. And uh, so I think, again, we're focused on law enforcement today. We're really going to make sure we establish and and penetrate that market domestically, internationally. And then as future technologies come out, we will be expanding that outside of that law enforcement focus to private security consumers, uh, you know, and, and other, other areas that we can have public safety or first responder impacts with our technologies. And how are you reaching these customers? Do you have your own sales force or partners or what? Great question. So we, we do have our own sales force that we've built. Uh, we have both an internal and an external sales force. Uh, and those, uh, obviously, we're living and breathing this all the time. But we also work with 13 distributors to cover the 49 states so far. We've got one state left to find a distributor. But what the distributors bring to the table is they already have those relationships. It puts another 100-plus people out there promoting our products to their law enforcement customers. All of those distributors are already in the law enforcement space. 
And that's how we've grown to over 300 agencies so quickly. We have over 1,100 officers already trained on it. Uh, just at the LAPD is an example, and another 1,100 uh, in what we call instructors around the country. And then internationally, 37 countries we ship to for, so far. Most of those are exclusive relationships. We have over uh, 70 countries that we have export licenses that we can do business uh, with uh, under the U.S. Department of Commerce regulations. So we are set up with a distribution network uh, globally. Uh, domestic is quite different than international because international – uh, you may have one police force for an entire country, where, again, here you have 18,000 agencies for the United States. And by using those networks, then I have a handful of outside sales that work with those distributors along with an inside client services team that supports both our outside sales reps as well as those distributors to go after the market. And so what's the sales process? Is it one where you know, a police force will test it or, or what? And if so, how long do they test for so great question again. So out of those 18,000 agencies in the U.S., almost I, I would say over 80% of them are less than 100 men. So NYPD is one of the largest, obviously, in the United States. They are going to move the slowest just due to the sheer size of them. So the big agencies, uh, L.A., Houston, Phoenix, Chicago, New York, those major city agencies, they take the longest time uh, to do to, – to, test, train, implement, all of those things where the smaller agencies now, they can move much quicker. In fact, we're seeing agencies can attend one of our web demonstrations and literally by the end of that demonstration, they can give us an order for two or three or four units, which covers their entire department. So typically, if you look at those larger agencies, they'll go through a demonstration, then they'll go to training, they'll have to write a policy, they'll do some field testing, and then they start to implement and ultimately our goal is to get them to full deployment and that can take on a large agency, you know, years, where, as I just gave that example earlier, the small agency can complete kind of that whole process literally in, in hours and days. So we, we kind of cover both ends and both gamuts of this. And then internationally, it follows the same thing, but it's now you're talking about a police force of an entire country, where once you do kind of get through those processes of the demonstration, training, testing, and policy, it can be multi-years for them to roll it out because – Indonesia is an example, one of the agencies that we're working with. That country has 340,000 officers. It's one-third the entire size of the U.S. market, and they've placed three orders this year, and they've already started advancing in those directions. So those are, again, we, we kind of cover a lot of gamuts from, from the two-man agency here domestically all the way through hundreds of thousands of agencies internationally. So do, do budgets come into play? Has is, is COVID... Uh impacted the budgets, and is there some seasonality to this due to budgets? Um, absolutely. I mean, all of those things have an impact. So um, I think it's still too early at this point to see what the budget hits are going to be related to COVID, but uh, everybody knows there's been cries for defunding police. You've seen some cities take the steps already to cut budgets uh, and, and um, change the way policing is being done. Uh, the interesting thing to that is that typically – over 90, probably 95% of a police's budget relates to personnel. Uh, very little of those budgets relate to the equipment like we're in. So even if you talk to an agency, uh, for an example, I was on a, on a conference a couple of weeks ago with a very large agency in the U.S., and the commissioner got on and spoke before I did and said basically the way they're addressing uh, reductions in budgets is that they just finished people going through their academies, but they're not hiring those officers because they're letting other officers retire, so they're reducing the size of the force. 
again, that's going to have the quickest and the biggest impact on budgets. However, these officers are still being asked to do the same job. Therefore, the equipment that they're carrying, like the bowler wrap, is still going to be issued to them because they're going to have to go out and do police work. So it's, I think it's too early to say what the total impact is going to be because nobody a year ago thought COVID was going to do what it's, how it's devastated the economies worldwide. But from our perspective, we're still seeing growth. We're still seeing uh, you know, tremendous interest in the product and, and uh, sales opportunities for us because the policing still has to happen. And I think the Bowler app is well positioned as there's conversations with other services like crisis intervention teams showing up to help people where our device can be deployed with them uh, as well because they're still going to need to have some kind of protection if they need to stop or restrain somebody. So I, I'm still very, very optimistic about the future and, and where we're positioned, not only domestically but internationally. And I do think internationally over the next 12 to 24 months, that's still going to be the majority of our business just due to the sheer size of the opportunities in the countries we're working in. And that's why I just hired, hired uh, last month uh, a sales rep that's based out of Europe and uh, we'll be looking to do that overseas as well because those opportunities are just so much bigger, and they do take longer to do. Uh, so that's, that's um, something that we factor into as we're doing our planning. And, and then what's the revenue model look like? Uh, in terms of the short term? or what, Razor, razor blade, do you make money on bowls? Yeah. Great question. Absolutely. It's a razor, razor blade business. We do make money on both. So uh, the, the bowler wrap itself is used over and over and over again, and it can be used for many years until we come out with future generations. The cartridge, as we said before, is a single shot, so they have to come in and they train with it initially, they train with it annually, and then they also use it in the field. And our margins, uh, right now we're in the low 30% and our, our uh, gross margins for these products. Our goal is in 2021 to get that up above 40%, which I think is gonna be achievable, and ultimately I'm setting a company goal in the next uh, one to two years to get those uh, margins up to above 50%. Uh, and I think that's achievable with, um, with the efficiencies of manufacturing that we're now implementing and with uh, running the business. So uh, I do think we're, we're well positioned to, to achieve those goals. But right now we're uh, you know, low 30s, and I think in 2021 in the short term over the next 12 months we're going to get those up about 40%, uh, not approaching. And hopefully my long-term goal is to get them over 50 uh, percent for both the devices and the cartridges. The cartridges that we have more work to do on in the short term than the device, but we, we will get there, and those are goals that I've set for the organization. So how are you fixed for cash? you have enough runway to get there? Absolutely. The, we have a very, very strong balance sheet. You know, we, did a, have, we had a lot of warrants come in. We did a raise in, back in June, so we've got over $45 million in the balance sheet right now, virtually no debt. Uh, and even right now, with, uh, if sales were to just stay flat, we've got a uh, runway that'll last us you know, three, four years at our current burn rate. So uh, we're very, very excited to have a strong balance sheet that allows us to really focus on the business, make the right cash investments, um, and, and see returns from that. And I'll give you one example. We just announced recently a, an award from the UK government, the United Kingdom government, on a, on a research project that our engineering team um, had put in a proposal and we, we were selected as the one of the winning companies there so it shows that the team that we're putting together the ideas uh, the the market for this is something that the um, governments are interested in and and being able to invest in those building those teams now uh, is allowing us to get awards like that uk uh, 
research grant to look at a longer range development of a remote restraint system. And um, again, I think that strong balance sheet really affords us to do that. And uh, with 37 million shares outstanding, we've got over 27,000 shareholders. A lot of those shareholders are law enforcement officers who have used or seen the products. So we have great support from the law enforcement community and, and extremely well positioned to be able to invest smartly and wisely to really grow this company quickly over the next several years. It sounds like you have the wind at your sails. Now, as we look over the next 12 months or so, what are some of the upcoming events or catalysts that can help propel things? Um, for me, I think it's going to be just the blocking and tackling. I mean, obviously, for everyone in the world, I think we all want these COVID restrictions to go away because, uh, you know, the, the lockdowns and travel restrictions have, some, have had an impact on us. We've all had to pivot to doing, uh, you know, Zoom video conferences, but there's still nothing like seeing this product in person. Obviously, on the international side, uh, there's been literally no international travel uh, since this pandemic started, so we're hoping that that's going to go away, uh, which will allow us to get back to really the high growth pattern that we were on, uh, that COVID slowed down a little bit. But uh, I think it's the blocking and tackling. It's the continued execution uh, and as we get more body cam videos, and you know, we've had dozens and dozens of field uses of the bowler app that we just have not been able to release yet because of uh, the slowdown in the process due to COVID and having those videos reviewed internally at the agencies and then allowing us to share them. But, you know, we've released three recently, one in Florida, one in Georgia, one in Minnesota, that regardless of the demonstrations and everything else, that's where the rubber meets the road is here's a body cam video of the bowler wrap being used to end that confrontation and get somebody help or they don't get hurt. Uh, so the more of those that come out, um, the more information that comes out, I think with uh, the new administration coming in next year with a discussion of keeping police reform on top of mind, again, we're kind of perfectly positioned to provide answers uh, to the questions of, of problems that everybody keeps pointing out. And um, I would just say, as long as you continue to watch, you know, we're not a, we're not a quarter to quarter company yet. We're, we're a company that's focused on the long-term growth and the investments to make us get to those, to those points. But it's super exciting where we're at and the growth we've already seen in the short term and the opportunities that are going to be before us in 2021 uh, so just watching that continued adoption rate, continued videos to come out, the continued adoption internationally, those are, those are some of the milestones. And then, of, of course, the um, investments into some of these other areas that we talked about with the rap reality and things that uh, hopefully we'll have some announcements on in, uh, in the very near future about as well. Very good. Anything I uh, failed to ask you or anything that you want to leave us with? Uh, Obviously, I'm hopeful the passion is coming through in this interview. I'm building a great team, uh, and the execution of this team is something that's really going to make a difference. And, again, I think this is the perfect time for this product to be coming into the marketplace. Uh, I'm super excited about where, what we've accomplished so far as an organization and what we're going to be doing in the, in the next uh, one to two years. I think it's an exciting time to really watch what we're doing. And, and again, from my previous history, uh, you all have seen, or if you're not, go look at the Taser story and uh, went from a dining room startup to eight-plus billion-dollar market cap, and I think our wrap has the same or uh, exciting type of opportunities because this is something that's making a difference for police. It's an easy story to understand, and it's really compressing the time frame uh, of how quickly that those things can happen, and uh, I'm just very, very excited about what opportunities lie before the company for 2021 and beyond. Well, Tom, it really does seem like lightning can strike twice, and I, I thank you for sharing the, the rap story.
Well, I'm, uh, I was lucky enough to do it once. I can't believe I have a chance to do it a second time. And, and so far, all the indicators are that that's happening. And uh, appreciate you having me on. And, and uh, hopefully we'll be talking again soon because we'll have some exciting announcements. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you. Have